for at just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a world of darkness came a light that would shine. An infinite hope in a desperate hour, clothed in secrecy, void of power. Hunted by a king, sought by the wise, heaven rejoiced, darkness despised. Tempted, tested, human divine, yet through it all, the light would still shine. Growing in stature, full of truth and grace, the light appears in the most unlikely place. Rejected by others, they felt the embrace. Dinner with a sinner, a rendezvous at night, in the midst of a storm, a boat full of fright. A man up a tree, a child on a knee, a captive set free. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. Threatened by change, exposed by acceptance, darkness attacks with lies and deception. Blasphemer, glutton, sinner, liar. The enemy stoops lower, but love stands higher, higher and deeper, longer and wider. Healer, friend, teacher, provider. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. Religion unmasked, hypocrites taken to task, answers pondered, questions asked. Which is the greatest? Who is my neighbor? How should we pray? Who does God favor? Stories with truth, uncommon, uncouth, forgive and let go. Not tooth for a tooth. Blessed are the meek. Forget about, don't forget about the weak. Yeast and trees, seeds and wheat, pearls and coins, hands and feet, law fulfilled. Love complete. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. Then storm clouds gather, blacker than black. Thirty pieces of silver, a stab in the back. Betrayed, denied, condemned to die. A crowd's lie, a mother's cry, a son's why. Then one last breath, and the father sighs. The light grows dim and begins to subside. On a lonely hill, scoffers jeer, darkness dances and evil cheers. The earth grows quiet, hope disappears. Will the light shine again? Or is this the end? Then out of the vastness of eternal dark grows the faintest of hopes, the tiniest spark. Breaking through the silence, a voice can be heard. In the beginning was God, and God was the Word. In Him was life, and that life was light. And to all who would receive it, it gave them the right, the right to be children of the day, not the night. For it's, the darkness trembles at the sound of that phrase. For it's one day, then two days, and then finally three days. Life begins to grow. Evil begins to know. A stone begins to roll, and light begins to explode. A resurrection grows. Angels descend. Every knee bends. A Savior appears. The followers hear words of life, not dread. 
For at just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a darkness of the world, a light came and still shines. Good morning. How are you? We're going to do something that for the past 12 or so hours, half of the globe has already been doing. And in a couple hours, people in California are going to be going to church. And in a couple hours after that, the Fiji Islands and Hawaii. And for about another 12 hours, the church universal is going to be proclaiming this. I'm going to say Christ is risen and you're going to say he is risen indeed. Let's join in and do our part in this symphony of praise. Christ is risen. Yeah, you can have a seat. How are you guys doing today? No, seriously, how are you guys doing today? Well, I will tell you, I'm excited to be here, but I'm a little bit tired because we had something that went on yesterday. It was called Super Saturday. Dun, dun, dun. Yesterday, we had a chance to spend some time with 803 of our closest neighbors. We invaded the Willow Lake Gazebo, which is the community that we are part of, and we had a great time from blow-ups to hundreds of hot dogs, chips, thousands of drinks, it, raw egg throwing contest. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. We had a wonderful time just being part of the community. It's been a blast. We had a great time. Hopefully you had a chance to get out there. Uh, Want to take just a moment and and thank you guys. Um, it'd be very easy to say, well, that's Pastor Garen's thing, so it's geared more towards kids helping, you know, kid helpers. We could not have done it without you. We had over 110 volunteers from our church, and that is why it was so successful. So thank you. I forgot to do it in the first service, but Frankie Huron and Amanda Padovan Moreno are two fabulous people that made this event happen. So when you see them, be sure to thank them. We had just a great time, and we're looking forward to hopefully going back there in the fall for Fall Festival and just saying to our community, hey, we're here. We're part of you. We want to give back. Um, so that's what we did. Would you do me a favor? Stand up. I know. Sit down, stand up. This is your cardio for the day. You can check it off the list. You don't have to do it the rest of the day. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. We hope that you find Houston First Church friendly and inviting and a place where you can just kind of relax and find space to breathe. Um, if you're visiting, we'd love to meet you and get to know you after the service We'll have some people behind the booth in the lobby, and uh, we'd love just to put a name and a face together. So uh, hopefully if you're visiting, you'll come back and, and say hi to us, and we'll say hi to you. Uh, but if you would, just take a moment, turn to a neighbor or two, greet them, say hello, how you doing? Maybe tell them your name in case they've forgotten it, and ask their name in case you've forgotten it. As we come to prayer time, you can have a seat. In light of Easter, 
in light of what God has done, hear the words from Paul. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for creating such a unique way to save us that you would send your own son to do what we could never do on our own. We're so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for your obedience. You knew the price that would be paid, and you did it willingly. Because of your love for God and because of your love for humanity, thank you for loving us that much, Jesus. God, as we celebrate the fact that you have raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that he is ascended and sitting at the right hand of God the Father, even now, pleading and interceding for us, God, we thank you because we know that you hear us when we pray. We know that you love us. You demonstrated it on the cross. Thank you for such great love. May we live today and every day afterwards changed because of the love that we know you have for us. And we pray this all in the beautiful, sweet name of our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. You guys look great today. Your Easter Sunday outfits, all spiffy. Did mom pick those out? Did uh, husbands, did you go and get your own? Or uh, did the wife do it? It doesn't matter because you all look great. Today is a great day to celebrate, isn't it? Man. I confess, last year I skipped Easter Sunday. I did have a good reason, though. My uh, daughter, Quinn, uh, was born on Easter Sunday last year. So we were rushed into the hospital about 5.30 on Easter Sunday. So this is my first Easter in about two years, and I am pumped to be here. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a lot less, less stressful today. 
my name is Pastor Matt. This is Pastor Michelle. We're a couple of pastors here at the church. Hope that you're feeling at home if you're a guest with us. November 26th, 1989 is a day that changed our country, our world forever. Something burst onto the scene. It was new. It was fresh. It just rocked just rocked everything and, and probably changed the way we look at a lot of things. November 26th was the day that America's Funniest Home Videos debuted. <laughs> and ever since that moment, anytime a kid is in a backyard with a bat of any kind and a dad is nearby, you know a couple things possibly could happen. Something is going to break that is valuable. Privates could be hit, or <laughs> a cat will come out of somewhere and jump on a kid's face, and it will be glorious. <laughs> and we will laugh, we will maybe even cry a little bit, and it doesn't matter if you're young or old, it's just, it's just a great, it's just funny. And, and confessionally, I have that part of me that just kind of pulls for bad things to happen sometimes. Not people to get hurt, but you know those bikers, are, when they all have these cycle races and they're all together... I kind of want the first guy to go down and all the other ones to domino. <laughs> I, I confess this morning, I'm sorry. <laughs> and because of America's Funniest Home Video, something is birthed in our country, this maybe even desire to see that. And from that, we've got fail pictures. I don't know if you've seen those before, but they're funny. You know that they are. And I, I saw, I was kind of breezing through the internet, and I saw this... Uh, kind of slideshow was like one second before disaster pictures. These are pictures taken right before disaster took place. Here are a couple of them now. This girl will never go to a concert ever again after this moment. Here's another one. Uh, this is actually, yeah, this is what happens, kids, when you take selfies uh, and you're not paying attention. Her name is Kelly Nash. She was a reporter at a baseball game, a, a Red Sox game, and yes, the baseball does hit her in the head afterwards, but she's got a picture to remember it. Uh, we've got this young lady. <laughs> I think, to be fair, that's not a second before disaster. That's disaster in progress right there. Here we go. We've got this uh, lady here. Uh, yeah. I think there's a chance that she could have saved it and not gone to the pool there, no. but most likely she was experiencing a little wetness that day. And then dad and kid, uh, I don't know if you can see that kid's face, but <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I saw a couple of scenes like this yesterday at the park, but we love those moments. And I think from that kind of birthed this whole thing with us, where we're almost looking for disaster and our, our society almost celebrates it. Winter Storm 2014 or Tornado Watcher, and then you put titles over them, it's kind of sensationalizing bad things. What if we came up with a show that actually hyped up and celebrated the moment before awesomeness happened, the, more, the moment before something amazing, life-changing happened? For example, Publishing's Clearinghouse, do they still even have a Publishing Clearinghouse? Do they? The big check guy comes, you know, I don't know where you can cash that check, but you, the guy with the check's coming, you've got cameras, we're going to have a show with it, knocking on the door, we're ready for the reaction, the check is there, you want a million dollars? Amazing reaction, great reactions, or maybe 
Just confession. I want to be the guy that moves the bus from America's home makeover. Move that. I want to be there. I want to see the faces. I want to get it recorded. What if, you know, we talk a lot about the doctor who has to give the bad news, and you see that in shows. What if we could get cameras in the room where the doctor comes in and is like, okay, guys, follow me here. I'm gonna about to tell someone who's had cancer for four years that they're cancer-free for the first time. <laughs> and seeing the look on their face, I mean, that would be a cool show. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. I don't know if you've seen this video. There is a girl, uh, this is actually three or four years ago. She's 29 years old, and they recorded her. She's been deaf all of her life. Did you see that one? You cannot, uh, you can't, you're not a human being if you get to that video without crying uh, because she hears for the first time, and you see her reaction, and her face just lights up. It's amazing. I was in Guatemala about 10 years ago on a trip, and there were medical missionaries that they were doing eye surgeries on people that were living in these isolated areas in the mountains and basically helping people see for the first time. Wouldn't it be great to capture those moments? I think Jesus kind of stole my idea before many years ago because he loves these kind of moments. He loves the before and the after and the amazing wow <laughs> moments. And that's what we're talking about today on this Easter celebration Sunday. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at four stories of people of changed lives and how God has broken into their world. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples, this verse 3, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which is just a great little note there, that he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then he also says, by the way, this Peter guy, I beat him there, and if he tells you any different, he's a liar. <laughs> the disciples were competitive too, by the way, uh, especially with, you know, brothers and disciples apparently uh if peter tells you he's there you know he just didn't he's not telling the truth so john gets there first he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings that were lying there but he didn't go inside then simon peter arrived and, and did go inside and he noticed that the linen wrappings lying there and while the cloth that had covered jesus head was actually folded up kind of an interesting detail there i don't know people who steal bodies fold up linen cloths and put them to the to the side is laying apart from the other wrappings. And the disciple who reached the tomb first, John, also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Do you get the feeling that if uh, Pastor Matt was one of the disciples, he would have wanted to be first? <laughs> Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around. Well, today we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene. And she was a woman that collected labels. 
the kind of labels that we all have in this world, the kind of labels that your parents start putting on you when you're a toddler, like uh, chubby cheeks and thunder thighs. I see David looking at his little baby girl right there, and Jen's covering her ears. Um, My label growing up was Grace, uh, but not because I was graceful, but just the opposite, and I think it has stuck to this day. Uh, we, we label, uh, our peers get on the labeling when we get into grade school. They, uh, they label us bully or wimp or loser. They my, love nickname, to t- my nickname was Stud. I just want to throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> he is lying on Easter Sunday. That is that. not right. I'm going to stand way over here because lightning is going to strike. <laughs> anyway. So when we get to high school, there are plenty of names that go around. Everyone wants to label someone else. And you go into the lunchroom, and there's jocks, and there's popular people, and there's geeks, and there's nerds. And um, I won't tell you which one I was. Um, When we get to the workplace, we are are labeled overachiever, underachiever, uh, workaholic, maybe even expendable. No one wants that label. Labels are everywhere. We're Republican, Democrat, we're skinny, we're labeled fat, we're uh, divorcee, adulterer, dog lover, hypocrite, liar, um, and they go on and on. I bet you, as I was talking, a few of the labels that people have slapped on you um, came to your mind. We all have labels. And they, they tend to define how we see ourselves, don't they? Scripture tells us that Mary was possessed with seven demons. Now, we don't know what that looks like, and I won't pretend to understand it, but we do know, and what can we can surmise from that, is that if you have seven demons, you probably have a lot of labels put on you, like lunatic, crazy, um, and they probably a lot more than that. Even in Christian literature, she's sometimes known as Mad Mary. And no, George, you may not call me Mad Michelle. Life probably seemed very hopeless to Mary. She lived in total and utter darkness. She was probably rejected over and over again by everybody that came into contact with her. She probably lived a very confused, sorrowful, depressed, anxious, loathsome, scared, and shameful life. Those were all labels that could describe Mary. She was alone with nowhere to turn. I wonder if any of you have been in a similar situation where you felt some of those things, or maybe even all of those things. I have. But then, some good news, and Scripture doesn't tell us how or when this happened, but she meets Jesus, and he delivers her from her demons, and she was free. And her life wasn't merely reformed, but it was transformed. She was so grateful to be free that she becomes the greatest follower of Jesus, even over the disciples. You see, the disciples, when Jesus gets arrested, they leave. They want no part of that. Peter will go on to deny Jesus three times. But Mary Magdalene, she does not deny Jesus. In fact, she follows him all the way to the cross. She watched as they put a crown of thorns on his head. She watched as they nailed his hands to the cross. She watched as they nailed his feet to the cross, as they spit on him and uttered insults at him, as they taunted him. 
she saw it all. Even in the darkest days of Mary's past, they couldn't compare to watching Jesus die on that cross. You see, she wasn't just losing a Savior. She was losing her identity. Jesus had freed her from her past and from all those labels, and now they all came flooding back on her. She, she questioned who she was without him. You see, she didn't have anything to go back to. She couldn't go home. He was all she had. Depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, shame, hopelessness, hopelessness those all-too-familiar feelings crept back in. She was reminded of her labels, lunatic, crazy, insane, freak. Watch this video of my friend Jamette. I was brought up in what I thought was a uh, Christian-based church. I grew up thinking that I had to work uh, just to be in heaven and be perfect to be in heaven. And um, it ended up making me feel guilty all the time. It made me feel like um, I had to strive to be perfect in everything that I did. And if I did make a mistake, it felt like it was magnified. If I did mess up, I would, you know, have to go to church and you couldn't partake of, you know, a sacrament. And when you don't do that, people notice and they think that, or they know that you've not been the perfect person and, and it, it, you feel everybody looking at you, you feel judgment. I was by myself, all I could think about or the things that maybe I did wrong, and um, and that there was a possibility I wouldn't, I wasn't going to go to heaven because I couldn't strive to be this perfect person. I remember as a teenager just feeling very depressed. Even though my parents really loved me and they they tried to do what they could for me, they would spoil me. They always told me that they loved me. I was always told by my parents that they loved me always, and I was spoiled by my dad. Um, but I couldn't get that feeling out of feeling remorseful all the time. And when I prayed, I just felt like nobody was really listening. I didn't really get um, real, really too much emotional. Um, um, I mean, there were times that I did feel kind of, but I think that was my guilt um, getting to me. And that it was just not going to ever, I wasn't going to ever amount to anything. disciples, they left the tomb area and immediately they went home, or in some versions it says the place where they were staying, and they were huddled together in this kind of upper room scene, and then suddenly something happens. Jesus shows up, and in verse 19, the Sunday evening the disciples were there, the doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. The guy that was dead for three days was now standing in their midst. And he says this, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. There's a movie that comes on quite often, and I have to stop and watch one scene that happens, and it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have you seen? It's the best of the Indiana Jones, in my opinion, and because Sean Connery is in the movie, and uh, that was not a good impression, but... Um, 
There's a scene where Indiana, he's in this tank scene with uh, battling the Nazis, and the tank goes over the edge into the ravine. Do you remember that terrible, terrible, uh, what do you call it, special effects going on there? It was back 20 years ago. He goes over the side, Sean Connery goes to the edge of the cliff. He looks over, he thinks he's lost his son forever, and there's grief and sorrow on his face. I should have said this, I should have done this. And what happens, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, comes up from behind and is like, just kind of looks over the edge beside him, and Sean Connery goes, oh, my son, I fu-. Man, I'm losing the voice. Um, <laughs> I don't think you ever had it. All right. He goes over and hugs his son. It's just this moment on his his face is like, I thought I'd lost you, but but you're here and you're back. And wow. And there's just this embrace and you see the looks on their face. And that's what's happening that night in in this upper room. We thought we'd lost you, Jesus. And suddenly they're filled with joy. They're filled with this just emotion. But someone wasn't there that night. Thomas, he wasn't there. You missed one church service and you missed something amazing happens. I don't know if you heard this, but I heard last week there was this church where some guy brought a sheep in the middle of service. (laughs) And yeah, so sometimes you miss some pretty cool things if uh, you're not in church. And Thomas missed something that night. He saw, he missed Jesus showing up. And what does it say? They came and they told him. They said he's alive. And what was his response? You probably know it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand, put my fingers in his side, and place them where the wound is. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Now, I don't know if it's because my, my middle name is Thomas, Matthew Thomas Hawkins. My son's name is Noah Thomas Hawkins. My dad's name is Bert Thomas Hawkins. His dad's name is John Thomas Hawkins. His dad was John Thomas Hawkins. And his dad before that, his name was Bob. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's because I have this thing, you know, just, I, f- I feel sorry for him. Because from that point, he was known as Twin, it was his nickname, and now he's known as Doubting Thomas. And I think, you know what, we all have questions. We all have some doubts when we think about faith and we think about this whole thing. You know, if that guy shows up at my door and he's got the big check at the door and it says a million dollars, immediately I'm not going nuts. I'm going or crazy. I'm not, I'm just busting by him. I'm saying, where are my friends hiding in the bush? Because this is obviously a joke. And uh, this isn't really happening. Or I'm thinking in my mind, okay, after taxes, that's probably about $200,000. <laughs> and so these questions, they just kind of jump in, in our, our minds sometimes. And you know what? I, I think that that's okay. You know, I think the Bible is, is full of people that have, that have questions. And if you look through the story of Psalm and the writings there, it's just an honest grappling between God and man. And that's okay. God is big enough to handle our doubts. He shows up on the scene. There is a couple in our church, and uh, their name are, uh, they're the Ballards. You might know them, you might not, Don and Jamie. They are in Hawaii this week. Has anybody ever been to Hawaii? Uh, I don't really care for people who've been to Hawaii (laughs) because like the Ballards, they post pictures on Facebook. And by the way, if you're in Hawaii and you have time to get on Facebook, that's kind of lame anyway. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) 
Uh, so they're posting, they're in there right now, they're in Hawaii, and they're posting pictures just to taunt us and uh, show us all these. Who reads a book in Hawaii? I think okay. it's the Bible, I'm just saying. That might be the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Any, my wife has actually been to Hawaii twice. I've never been at all, but if you've been to Hawaii, there's not a single person that goes, man, that Hawaii is overrated. Uh, it's just, you know, they're constantly talking about how beautiful it is and amazing it is. But you know what? If you've never been to Hawaii, you kind of listen to the stories and you go, okay. But if you haven't experienced it firsthand, it's not the same. It's not the same. And I think there are a lot of people, I think there are a lot of people in churches that uh, their parents, they have faith. They've seen faith in their, their grandparents, but it's not personal. They haven't had a personal encounter with Jesus. Uh, let's check out uh, Jane's story. My whole life has been um, a lot of, maybe now that, that I know the term, it's been spiritual warfare. Um, in the beginning, it wasn't, I didn't know what it was called. My initial thoughts of who God was uh, wasn't anything that was uh, positive. It, it was just another, another parent. Whenever I heard the term God, um, I pictured this omnipotent being. Um, I pictured this, this uh, more, more so uh, a person looking down on me. Uh, I feel that when I was doing something wrong, I, would, I was being judged. I was being almost under a microscope. In the beginning with my family, uh, going to church and trying to figure out, um, I guess, these paths towards my salvation, I, it wasn't clear cut. It was just kind of put on me. Um, it wasn't really a self-choice. It was more a thing that I had to do every Sunday. I guess just a lot of the upbringing that my, my parents wanted me to, uh, I guess, instill, um, or let me rephrase that, I guess, a lot of the things that I thought were instilled by them just because of um, tradition, you know, just because it was a, a cultural background, and, and in my household, that's how everything was, you know, you you go in and, and uh, you do a ritual, um, you have to, you know, be careful of what you do, what you say, and um, I thought it was, I thought it was just very, very, you know, just fake for me. So that didn't make me want to change because I didn't see, a, I didn't see a reason to. Let's look back at John chapter twenty, uh, verse eleven. Uh, we're going to go all the way back and see what happens next. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried, away, carried him away, tell me where you, where you have put him, and I will go back and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she had said, that he had said these things to her. Well, Mary Magdalene, um, after Jesus' death, she went to his tomb, and she brought uh, oils with her, and she was going to anoint his body. But when she got there, she found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and the tomb was empty. She was expecting to see him there, and he was gone. And just instant devastation hit Mary. She was wondering where he was. She was distraught. She couldn't imagine what had happened to her. The empty tomb filled her with grief, and it should have made her shout for joy. Why? Because Jesus had already told all of his followers, including Mary, that he was going to rise on the third day. But she didn't remember in all of her devastation of him not being there where she expected him to be and all of the past events of the past few days of him being on the cross and all that brought, she had forgotten Jesus' promises. And I think sometimes it's a little bit like that with us. We get caught up into the day-to-day -day activities of our life. We get caught up into the day-to-day crises um, that go on. We get caught up in just life, and we just forget that Jesus promised us life. And so Mary's in a funk, much like a lot of us. We get in, when we get in the midst of life's trials, we get into a funk, and we think he's forgotten us, but really it's us that have forgotten him. And I love what the angel says. He says, uh, woman, why are you crying? Obviously knew, the angel knew uh, why Mary was crying, so I don't know if the angel just had a sick sense of humor or was just messing with Mary or what, but he asked her why she's crying. Um, in the parallel story in this encounter in Matthew, um, the angel asks her, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? I think that also kind of applies to us today. I think we often look for the uh, dead for the living among the dead. We seek, we seek peace. We seek happiness. We seek anything that will just uh, make us feel better. And uh, we seek it sometimes in places that give death. Sex, alcohol, drugs, food, material possessions, you name it. Sometimes I think that's where we where we think we're going to find the peace that only Jesus can give. And Mary was weighed down with a needless grief and needless worry about things that she should have turned to God to take care of because she was living as though Jesus were still dead. We do the same thing. We live as though we have no power, 
We live as we have no hope. But friends, let me tell you today that we do have a hope. We do have a hope in Jesus Christ because he has risen from the grave. Mary answers the angel, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know what they have done with him. After the words are out of her mouth, she senses this presence behind her. And she turns around, and she sees Jesus, but she thinks he's the gardener. We don't know why she didn't recognize Jesus, but she didn't until he says her name. He says, Mary. And instantly, she recognized him. And he would say, the same to us today. He calls my name and he calls your name. He says Johnny. He says Jeanette. He says Julie. He's calling your name today. In a single word, Jesus gave Mary her identity. He had restored her hope, her faith, in her future. Once again, Jesus had delivered Mary from darkness and confusion, and he can do it for you, and he can do it for me as well. Let's check out the rest of Jamet's story. Um, when I met Johnny, he, uh, I had it in my mind, and my parents had it in their mind that we were going to get him to come to our church, and he did his um, investigating and did a lot of research, and he kind of told me stuff that I didn't know about. And then when he finally did get me to come to this church, um, at first it was uncomfortable because it was not something I was brought up with, um, but the people in it made me feel comfortable. And then that one day that, that um, Maggie and Michelle went to lunch, I was really struggling with it because I think I was going through some depression and I think it was me questioning, oh, I'm feeling this way but I was brought up this way and just going to lunch and them just loving me and, and not bashing what I grew up, not once telling me that was wrong or, um, or it was just, it just made me feel loved. Since I've, I, I, I know Jesus, um, I feel like I know him from the time that I wake up until I, the time that I go to sleep and I depend on Him for everything, and it's very peaceful things that come to me. I'm able to handle better inside, because I have a temper problem. I don't really have that much anymore. I'm more patient, and, and I pray with my kids all the time. I always remember to pray with my kids before school, and it's hearing them say, oh, there's a car accident right there. Let's pray to Jesus that they'll be okay. And hearing that from them makes me feel so good because obviously they caught on to it from seeing us. And I'm, I'm very thankful for Jesus to be in my kids because they don't have to go through what I went through. Now, where are we at? Where are we at with Thomas? Uh, I won't believe until I see the wounds, until I can put my finger into the holes in his hands and see the, the, the spot on his side. And what happens? We look in the scripture eight days later. It's almost like Jesus heard what Thomas said. 
Eight days later, the doors are locked in the upper room. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm, I'm visualizing like furniture pressed against the door kind of thing because they're scared. And all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus just shows up in the room, which is pretty awesome, pretty cool, especially if you like to scare people. And uh, Jesus had a lot of time to think about this, so he maybe even planned this kind of boo moment, and it's just not recorded, which I think would be great. Um, but Jesus, he just shows up on the scene. And what's the conversation like with, with that? He calls Thomas over. And what was the look on Thomas's face? I wish we had the video there. <laughs> I wish we could see that look, that picture. Because uh, God does some miraculous things sometimes. Some things that are outside the realm of our five senses. And we can sense a lot. There's like a hundred million things that you can perceive. And science is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And if you look in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, it talks about how when we look at creation, we look at the handiwork of our God, how can we not recognize that there is a creator? And we look inside of us and who we are as people and how detailed we are that God created us. But there are moments when God just shows up in a room. And you can't explain it. And he does things that put look, puts looks on our faces and we go, wow. Wow. This is God being God. Because guess what? He is God. He is God. And he showed up that night in the room. And what does he do? Thomas, I heard what you said. Come over here. Come over here. I have something to show you. Now just, just visualize in your mind with, with me, Jesus reaching out his arm and, and, and his hand, I kind of see just a hole straight through. And I wonder if Thomas, his, his, his hand almost shook as it came toward it. And Jesus maybe grabbed his hand and said, I want you to feel this. I want you to sense it for yourself. I want you to put your hand in my side. He experienced it firsthand. And when he did, it changed him forever. It changed his life forever. In fact, Thomas, they tell us that he, the other disciples, they kind of stayed in this small area of, of, of the world. But Thomas, he went all the way to India to share the gospel. He was transformed. His life was completely different forever when he caught a glimpse of God. What's your story today? Have you seen Jesus? Have you been transformed? Have you had that moment in your life? Uh, let's check out the end of, of James's story today. God is breaking me down and he's challenging me and he's telling me to not just look into your own immediate family, but hey, these people that are coming and talking to you, those are your family too. You see God at play, obviously. Again, I'm, I'm lifting it up to him and I'm saying, God, you know, I'm, I'm being your hands and feet. Just continue to guide me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know, um, I don't know who these people are. And I just want, I just want your glory to shine through me. If it's just taking trash out or if it's going with this person and we're moving, a, you know, a, a fridge or if we're gonna go and give someone a blanket. I think for me, the aha moment was 
literally looking back at my family because it wasn't just me that was transformed all of a sudden. Through that whole process, my mother was being transformed. My brothers were being transformed. My sisters were being transformed. And it was nothing that I could have ever, ever in a million years imagined that I could have possibly done on my own. Looking back at it now, there wasn't any, James, be the man of the house, do it your way. It wasn't none of that anymore. It never was to begin with. It was more of, James, I'm here, leave it to me. You know, this, this, I, I can't do it on my own. I need you, God. You're the man of my life. You're the person that I want to be, that I want to emulate. You're the person that I want to continue to be, you know, from here on out. I love stories. I love stories of changed lives. And that's what this day is all about. This is about an anniversary. An anniversary of grace. An anniversary of a, a God that didn't just create us. A God that loved us so much that he came down. He came down and he put on human flesh. And he took our sin. He bore it all on a cross. And that wasn't his cross to bear. It was, it was my cross. And that's why it's personal. That's why it's our story. Today, I don't know what your story is. Maybe today is a celebration day, an anniversary day for you of, man, I remember. I remember who I was before, and I remember when Jesus came into my life. Maybe it was a moment, maybe it was a time period where gradually you began to become a person of faith, and you put your faith in Christ, and you've been changed. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're like Thomas, and you, if you were honest today, you would say, you know what? It's, it's someone else's faith. Maybe I even come to church, but it's, it's not personal. It's not personal. It's not my story. Let me, let me tell you this. Our God is big enough for the challenge. When Thomas said, until I, until I touch the hands and the side, I won't believe. What did, what did Jesus do? He showed up. He showed up. And so my challenge for you today is this. If you're in that place of questions, take a step closer to God. He tells us this in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, We know that verse about he has plans for us and plans for a future and a hope. But if you go on two more verses, it says this. If you seek him with your whole hearts, you will find him. You will find him. In James 4, 8, it says this. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. And so take a step closer to him today. Take a step closer and say, God, help my unbelief today. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe you need to reach out and touch the hands and the side of Jesus today. Maybe you're today and, and maybe you're like Mary. And there was a time where whew, you believed and you were on fire, but you're kind of in a valley right now. And you've maybe forgotten the words of Jesus. You've forgotten his love and you feel distant. And Jesus is calling your voice to today. 
He's calling your name today. And he says, I'm here. I'm here and I'm alive and I'm right beside you. Maybe today is a day of victory. Today is a day of remembering. I invite you to now, you would just stand to your feet. Let me tell you, the altars are open this morning. And as I'm praying this morning, if you want to come and you want to say, I need to take a step of faith, and that step is, step is a physical step this morning, these altars are open. It's a place to pray. It's a place to, to, to talk to God. Maybe you want to come and you want to praise God. You want to say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. That's a place for you as well. Maybe you just need to say, God, I need to get out of this. I need to hear my voice today. I know you're calling me. So as I'm praying, these, these altars are open. It's a place for you. God, you're so, so good to us, Lord. We celebrate your love today. God, we celebrate who you are, Lord, and we're so grateful. We're so thankful. This day is not about the things that we can wear or the food that we're going to eat. It's all about you, Jesus, and we give you all the praise and the glory for being a God who is everything for us. God, you've changed our lives. You have set us free. And for that, we are so thankful. Jesus, I thank you this morning for, as we gather today, that, uh, God, you are a God that's big enough for our questions. And I pray that as, as people are praying right now, maybe there's someone that, that's taking a step of faith right now in their heart and their mind. They're reaching out their hands. And, Lord, I pray that, that you would remind them it's, it's by faith that they are saved. It's by faith of putting their faith in you and believing that you were raised from the dead. And all we have to do is today is just confess our sins, to, to say that we're sorry. And Lord, to, to ask you to be Lord of our lives, that begins this journey. It's that moment, that aha moment that James talked about, Lord. And God, we're thankful that we can have those moments with you. And it doesn't matter what our past looks like, because you are the God that has forgiven the past and takes care of it all. Lord, I pray today for this family this family of God that has come together and, and, and maybe there's a few of us that you know, just are, are hurting today. They're hurting because they're in just this valley of depression and loneliness and, and fears. God, I pray that you would encourage today, that you would, Lord, put your arm around whoever needs that today and whisper a name in an ear and say that I am here. And Jesus, Lord, Lord, we wanna celebrate you today. We wanna thank you today, but we don't wanna just do it today. Lord, may our joy not be confined to one Sunday a year. May we be your hands and your feet all year round. May people see the joy in our face, in our eyes, in our words. May it not only be on a day like Super Saturday, but it would be every Saturday. It would be in traffic. It would be at work. It would be all that we do, that this life-changing moment that's happened to us, oh, it wouldn't stay on Easter. It's bigger than Easter. It's, it's, it's a life thing. And God, that's our hope and our prayer for this community and this church. We love you and we give you all these things in your name. And God's people said, amen. Let's sing and praise our Lord.